Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I'm Dr. Alana Morris, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology at Emory University School of Medicine and the Emory Cardiovascular Clinical Research Institute. This podcast reviews recent updates in the cardiovascular benefits and appropriate use of GLP-1 receptor agonists. Joining me today is Dr. Pam Taub. Dr. Taub is Professor of Medicine, a board-certified cardiologist, and the founding director of the STEP Family Foundation Cardiac Rehabilitation and Wellness Center at UC San Diego. So glad you could join me today, Pam. Always a pleasure to be here with you, Alana. In this podcast, we're going to discuss the early use of GLP-1 receptor agonists in patients with type 2 diabetes and elevated cardiovascular risk. Pam, can you briefly review for us the ways that type 2 diabetes increases risk for cardiovascular disease? Sure. First of all, we need to be thinking about type 2 diabetes as a cardiovascular disease because when you have type 2 diabetes, it doubles the risk of developing atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. And some of the factors that underlie type 2 diabetes, such as insulin resistance, adiposity, hypertension, all of these drive atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So in 2023, we need to be thinking about managing type 2 diabetes in a holistic way and shifting from just looking at A1C and looking at global cardiorenal risk reduction. Yeah, I, I think that's so important. So given this predisposition to risk in diabetes, cardiovascular risk in particular, how do the available anti-diabetic medications sort of interact with these risk factors, but more importantly, how do they reduce cardiovascular outcomes? That's a great question, Alana. There are multiple categories of drugs that are available to us for reducing cardiovascular risk, but also lower A1C, and that includes the GLP-1 receptor agonist category and the SGLT2 inhibitors. These two categories are the most evidence-based in terms of reducing cardiovascular risk. We do have some older categories of drugs, including metformin, the DPP-4 inhibitors, sulfonylureas, and of course, insulin. These categories of drugs, though they lower A1C, just don't have the robust data in reducing cardiovascular risk that the GLP-1 receptor agonist and the SGLT2 inhibitor class have. So the ADA has actually removed metformin as the first agent that we should be using and has allowed us to go directly to SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists just because of the incredible robust data that we have from these two classes of drugs. So I think that's incredibly important because I, like you, see many patients who are referred to us for cardiovascular disease or complications that are still on sulfonylureas or still on metformin. So it sounds like, particularly with the GLP-1 receptor agonist, this is a win-win because we see these significant reductions in weight but maybe more importantly, the reduction in the risk for cardiovascular events. So do you mind just repeating for us as clinicians, it sounds like metformin is no longer first-line therapy per the guidelines and that we can use the GLP-1 receptor agonists and or the SGLT2 inhibitors because of their cardiovascular benefits. Is that right? Yes. And 
These drugs are very pleiotropic. So as you mentioned, the GLP-1 receptor class, there's weight reduction that you gain from using these drugs. But in addition to reduction in weight, there's been multiple cardiovascular outcome trials showing a reduction in cardiovascular events. There also seems to be a renal benefit with these agents. And we know that SGLT2 inhibitors have a benefit in reducing heart failure readmissions and just overall heart failure-related adverse outcomes. And so because of all of this data, we need to be personalizing which patient gets which drug. And for many of our patients, it's going to be both SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists. But if you have a patient, for instance, where weight is the predominant issue and obesity is driving a lot of their other comorbidities, such as atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease, it may be driving other conditions that we are very interested in treating, such as arrhythmias, sleep apnea, then the GLP-1 receptor agonist class is what we should be thinking about. You may have a patient where heart failure is the predominant issue and they're having multiple readmissions for heart failure, then you may really want to be gravitating towards an SGLT2. But what I find in my clinical practice is you may start with one, but then you end up with both for most of our patients. So speaking of personalizing care for our patients, We now have several different GLP-1 receptor agonists, including both injectable and oral formulations. How should clinicians select among these options for appropriate patients? So we have a lot of great options in terms of GLP-1 receptor agonists, both oral and injectable. In the injectables, we have semaglutide, dulaglutide, and now terceptide and uh, also liraglutide. Liraglutide is a daily injection, so we don't use it as much as we do dulaglutide, semaglutide, and tercepatide because those are once-a-week injections. Uh, Dulaglutide is unique in that it has a primary prevention indication because in the rewind trial, about half the patients that were studied didn't have atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. So it's unique in that way. Uh, semaglutide showed significant cardiovascular benefit in the SUSTAIN-6 trial, and we have ongoing cardiovascular outcome trials with tercepatide. So multiple different options in the injectable category. We have oral semaglutide, which is the only oral GLP-1 receptor agonist currently available. And what's really nice about the oral agent is there are many patients that don't like to do injections, so you can offer them an oral option. In addition, I like the oral because it's very titratable. So if patients experience any significant side effects, you can do the oral agent and you can start at very, very low doses. Sometimes you can even just start at once or twice a week and then titrate up to overcome some of these side effects that occur early, but then dissipate over time. Uh, So multiple options with the oral and injectable formulations of these GLP-1 receptor agonists. So beyond side effects, we know that there are other barriers that limit the use of GLP-1 receptor agonists in clinical settings, particularly cardiology settings. What are some of the reasons underlying the limited use of GLP-1 receptor agonists in cardiology practices in particular? Well, I think one of the biggest issues is 
these drugs have traditionally been thought of as a, dr a drugs that endocrinologists and primary care providers should be using for type 2 diabetes, but that's not the case. These are drugs that we really need to be using as cardiology professionals in reducing cardiovascular risk. So that paradigm is starting to shift, but we need to see more of a shift so that everyone in that practices cardiovascular medicine feels comfortable. But in addition, these are more expensive drugs, so that can also be a barrier to getting these drugs prescribed. In particular, we're seeing some disparities in the use of these drugs. For instance, a recent retrospective cohort study of Medicare patients showed that older beneficiaries and Black beneficiaries with type 2 diabetes and CKD are 30 to 50% less likely to start on a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor compared to sulfonylureas. And for Black patients, these findings were independent of income. So we need to do better in making sure that we address these healthcare disparities when it comes to these incredible agents that reduce cardiovascular events. That's exactly right. And I think particularly when we think about sort of the comorbidities that tend to come together, obesity, CKD, heart failure, which we know are often more common in Black patients, more common in older patients, it's really important that we try to um, give all of our patients the benefit of these uh, amazing drugs. We know that disparities are a pervasive issue in clinical settings. Are there other barriers that we need to be aware of for our patients? Again, um, some of our patients may be less likely to want to perform injections. Maybe there are other patients that are more likely to have the GI side effects. Are there other things as clinicians that we need to be aware of? Yeah, so the most common side effects with the GLP-1 receptor agonists are nausea, GERD. Some patients might experience diarrhea or constipation. It's really about educating the patients about the potential side effects and starting at very low doses and titrating up. Sometimes I find that patients are titrated up too quickly. I always start on the lowest possible dose and see what the side effects are with the low dose. So for instance, if a patient has nausea, uh, sometimes it's about just educating them that they need to eat smaller meals. If they have significant GERD, you can use an H2 blocker to help them with the GERD symptoms. If they have significant nausea, sometimes I'll pr prescribe an anti-nausea medication. And sometimes that's all you need at the early phases. And these side effects gradually do get better, but it's just getting through the initial phase when they start to experience these side effects. And so it's just educating patients about these side effects and having strategies in place to mitigate these side effects. And most of the time we can get patients through this. And sometimes you may want to switch from the injectable to an oral because, as I said earlier, the oral agent is so easily titratable. For patients who have severe side effects, you may just want to start with one capsule every other day or even one capsule three times a week and then gradually titrate up over a few-month period. And I find that that helps uh, mitigate some of these side effects. Well, Pam, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak with me and share your expertise on the management of cardiovascular risk in patients with type 2 diabetes. I think you provided some great information to our colleagues today. 
I enjoy talking with you. And I really think it's important that all of us in cardiology, whether it's the cardiologists, the advanced practitioners, uh, we all get very familiar and comfortable using this class of agents because these agents are really addressing so many aspects of risk that impact our patients, ranging from conditions such as acute MI, heart failure, a chronic kidney disease. And so we need to all get comfort with using these agents. If you are interested in learning more about recent developments in the management of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular risk, go to the NACE website at naceonline.com and register for any of our other enduring activities on diabetes, cardiovascular disease, kidney disease, or any other program we have developed. Please like us on Facebook at NACE CME to be part of our online social media community and get access to other content and programs we share. Finally, I want to thank you, our audience, for joining us for this podcast. I hope you have learned something new you can bring back to your practice. We look forward to having you join us for other upcoming podcasts in the future.